Yo, have you heard of LinkedIn Learning? If you haven't, LinkedIn Learning is an American massive open online course provider. It provides video courses taught by industry experts in a variety of subjects. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because Living Corporate is in partnership with LinkedIn Learning to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. Listen, if you're trying to be a better ally, you want to understand better diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, or you just want to learn how to be a better leader, you got to check out the courses on LinkedIn Learning. So check it out. You can do it one of two ways. You can click the link in the show notes or you go to LinkedIn Learning and you search Living Corporate again. Link in the show notes or go to LinkedIn Learning and search Living Corporate. I'll see you over there. Hello, hello. Hey, hi. How are you? And welcome to the group chat, Radical Power. I am your host, Vonda Page, and I am so excited, so amped, so pumped that I have M. Bowen with me today, and they are part of my interracial sisterhood, and I dare to say a friend with whom I share a very special bond, and we're going to get into that, but before we get into that, I want to say that we all, those of us who participated in the first interracial sisterhood coalition, we decided that 2022 is the year of the interracial sisterhood. And so because of that, and because I started this show last year, the group chat, the Radical Power series, what I decided to do was convert that into really talking about and addressing the power of an interracial sisterhood and the power of the divine feminine. And that's something we don't talk about. And so when I think about power, and you know, last season, um, my good friend Sana A. Khan and I, you know, we were talking about how, you know, when you work in the tech field, right, um, as a woman, as a non-binary person, and especially as a person that has any melanin in their skin, right, um, and don't present as the corporate, you know, white supremacist world tells us we're supposed to, we've experienced trauma in the workplace, we've experienced inequity in the workplace, and a myriad of other challenges. So we initially in Radical Power started talking about how as individual people, regardless of who we work for within these corporate structures, regardless of our role in the tech sector or in corporate America, we have our own power, right? We have power to make decisions, to make choices, right? To live out our values, um, throughout our careers and in our personal relationships. And even when we work in a corporate setting, right, and work for other bosses, you know, we still have a right and have power that we can execute. <clears throat> well, when we started the Interracial Sisterhood Coalition last fall, I started seeing so many more connections about power and what that really looks like you know, on an individual basis as me, Vonda, an individual, and then meeting and getting to know people like M, people like Alyssa, getting to know Karen uh, Fleshman in more um, detail and more, you know, intimate ways really helped me to be able to connect the definition of power and expand it. Because I think um, there is a very deep, seated, deep-rooted power in having these very close, intimate relationships across ethnic, racial, whatever lines, you know, that capitalism and white supremacy decided to put us in. And so that's what this show is all about. So we're going to be talking about that power, what it looks like, how to live it out. And so not only um, am I going to have, you know, people like M on here, today, but then we're going to have other of our, you know, sisters and cohorts and friends and, and people who are part of this coalition. And we're going to be talking just about this stuff. So with that, Em, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, um, talk a little bit about just, you know, a little bit about your background, how you even heard about the interracial sisterhood, and then we could just take it from there. Great. Thanks, Vonda. 
So I'm M. Bowen. I'm the peace nerd. Um, and it's been a long journey. Uh, you know, I think there's something about knowing that something is compelling, that you want to study it, um, that you see things coming together, but maybe it's not the right time. So I come from a background of this year, 2022, I will have been a massage therapist for 25 years. And congratulations. Let's pause on that. Thank you. I mean, I like to celebrate stuff. You know that about me. So I think that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, a massage therapist for 25 years. So first, what are you doing to celebrate that? Is it 2022? Is your 25th year? Yes. Yes. In May. Okay. I'm turning 50 in May. So it comes to this like, oh, half of my life, I've been doing this work and I'm hitting this age, which feels pretty profound in my own journey. Um, so with massage, I spend a lot of time with people in tender vulnerability, having an hour at a time to talk to people about what's true, what's real, what's causing them stress, um, inviting them to be in sync and connected to their bodies, um, and seeing how much processing and healing people could do in the physical space. Um, and so that kind of sparked interest in, I went and studied psychotherapy and I realized like, I like that, but it's still kind of one at a time. And there's also places where psychotherapy maybe help people talk different and think different, which I think is very important, but it didn't offer the same embodied healing that mm-hmm, people got mm-hmm. from having a physical treatment, having hands on, having another human there witnessing and holding. Like there's something magic about that. Um, And all these years of talking to people, um, I felt like I was also researching, like if I had another job, what would it be? What do you do? What is it like? And I kept hearing and feeling in people's bodies that the experiences they were having in their workplaces uh, were very disconfirming, were very, were ridiculous, were expectations that could never be met, were uh, getting poor evaluations, even though they worked really hard just because there wasn't a budget to give them a raise, this kind of garbage, um, micromanagement, racism, sexism, all of these things were showing up in people's work environments. So when I thought about what I really wanted to do as far as like meaningful leverage to make changes, I went back and got um, a graduate degree in leadership and organizational change. And I come at health in an organization with kind of the same mindset as health in the body. Like sometimes you have numbness in your hand. And it could be impingement in your wrist, but it's often impingement in your neck and shoulder, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It often is closer to the top or the head where the problem is starting and we see the symptoms at the extremities. This is very similar in workplaces. There's also something about having the tolerance to experience the discomfort and breathe through it, whether it's getting honest about how our workplace policies are harming people or it's, you know, breathing back into a rib cage that's been compressed because we're really focused or we're in a pandemic and we're really stressed and our jaw is clenched, right? <laughs> right? So I'm holding this big systemic health and healing picture when I look at people in systems. And I've just been really lucky. Um, of course, massage got totally shut down in the pandemic in California, um, and I had to pivot, but luckily I had been working in leadership education, community leadership education with folks up in Seattle and, um, a bunch of them launched a DEI project and they brought me along. Uh, so I just feel very lucky and honored to be in spaces with some great in the diversity and equity world and that I'm there because they said, we worked with you and we trust you. Right. And that that was the thing that mattered more than my resume or anything else was the way that I showed up, the way that I believed in people, the way that I um, was rooting for all of us. Um, 
that that made a difference. And so I think that that's something that really drew me in with the interracial sisterhood. Um, I went to one of Karen's events back in like 2017. I went to a anti-racist happy hour that she hosted in Seattle in like 2018. I just found a picture from that when I was going through my phone. Um, and so I've just stayed connected because Karen has been somebody that I have seen Black women and other women of color trust in these conversations around anti-racism and how do we really support um, each other, whether it's supporting each other in our individual workplaces, um, supporting each other politically, uh, supporting each other individually, making sure that I know where you want to go so I speak your name in the places that you want to be, all of these kinds of things. Um, are real values that I saw embedded in the work that she was doing. So whenever she says like, we're convening, um, I know it's gonna be good. And I know it's gonna have a lot of heart. Yeah, I mean, so I have chills right now. So <clears throat> the one of the best things about, you know, for me, one of the best things about, um, expanding my circle of people and expanding trust is how you always get these unknown I don't even call them unknown gifts just surprises and you just said so many like wonderful things that you might have said them you know like over the last four months you know that we've been getting to know each other whatever but we had, this is a different environment, right? And, and a different kind of focus to our conversation. And so you just said so many things that just made me know one of the reasons that we're drawn together. And so, you know, full disclosure, and, you know, for me, um, 2022 is going to be a, a year of, um, one of my themes is around boundaries. Um, and, and, and for that, it's me setting and establishing my own boundaries and, and living up to them. And with that, though, is me also breaking boundaries and breaking mm -hmm. bonds, right, and bounds, right, if you think about that. And so part of it for me um, is I've never been a person to really, like, jump into relationships and really care about people, like, unconditionally or whatever, because I've had a lot of previous relationships break trust, right? And you also talked about trust and you said it several times and how important that is in building a relationship. And it was something about just that, like you said, the convening of the women and the people, right, that Karen brings together and the people who, even though we may be at different um, stages or places on a continuum of our different journeys as human beings, whether we're talking about within anti-racism spaces, equity, whatever you want to call them, right? Sociocracy, you know, democratization of work, whatever these new areas are that those of us who are being bold and courageous and going out here and saying, listen, these new systems, these old systems, the way it's going right now, it's not working for any of us. It's working literally for 500 people, right? The, the yeah. top, top billionaires. It's not, it's not working for everybody else. It's not even working for, it, it maybe some of it's working for maybe 15,000 families in the, around the world, right? Super, uber, uber, uber wealthy people. The rest of the people that go to work every day, whether they're making 100,000, 50,000, or you know, 200,000 as a family or whatever, we still have to go to work. And the way the world the, is, is showing up, right, and all the harm and all the things that are happening as a result of white supremacy, which that whole is, is based in capitalism for a few people, we knew that something different has to happen. And we know that we have to be with like-minded people and people who are willing to like do something courageous and do something different. Right. So like, I'm trying to you like, I want to stop saying the space for these conversations is, is safe because this conversation needs to be courageous. This conversation needs to be fearless. This conversation needs to be authentic, right? What needs to be safe is 
black people coming out their houses and not getting killed. Black people Absolutely. living in their houses and not getting killed. Black people going to work and getting paid the exact same amount of money that white people and brown people and everybody else is getting paid. Black people being able to vote and, you know, not get locked up for, you know, smoking a joint and all kinds of stupid nonsense. So that's the safety that needs to happen, right? Because I want to have that conversation, right? The safety that needs to be happening is for the people who are in danger being targeted. It's black people, <laughs> black trans women. Lord Jesus, yeah. I cannot read. I, I don't read the news because I cannot stand to hear about a black trans person or somebody's Asian grandma getting beat up for no reason. I can't handle it. And so building these trusting relationships across that when as a black woman, I know it's only 6% of me in the country and the population is not growing, right? Because black families are not having two and three kids. They have less than two kids, right? And so that means that I'm more of a, a, a target, more yeah. risk, more in jeopardy, more of everything. And so having a, a friend like you, being in a relationship with a person like you that I know you're not promising me that you're going to be perfect and you're never going to say anything racist. No. Right? Because that way, like, literally, that's impossible. Because we, I just want to be teachable. I want you to right? view me as teachable enough that you can tell me. Right. And for me to be doing my own work, that even if you don't have the bandwidth to tell me, that I'm still working on it. Right. And not feeling like, like one of those symptoms or, or uh, not symptoms was, I guess, terms like we use this term, like, you know, main character syndrome or when, you know, white people have a tendency to center themselves. You know, it's like I say something like I don't know if I if I if this I can't remember. No, this happened after our last interracial sisterhood coalition session, because I think our last session was on the 16th of December. Yeah. And on Christmas Eve, I went to a local restaurant that I've been to a ton of times. I took Josephine there when she came to visit. I go sit at the bar to get literally I wanted cheese curds and um, a margarita. And then I was thinking about maybe getting a, um, a Beyond Burger. Like I was like planning on what I wanted to eat and everything. I couldn't get waited on. They waited on all the white people. They waited on. The Asian dudes, they waited on everybody. And I was just like, I really wanted that food so bad that I sat there for a while and, and took the bad service. And then I was like, and then this lady next to me was like, and she was doing the typical, typical white lady thing. But then, of course, she don't know how to use her privilege as power to really help me or whatever. And then she was like, well, I'll buy you a drink. I'm like, I don't, first of all, I don't need nobody to buy me a drink. They won't right. wait on me. I've been here 15 minutes. It's not about that. I'm out. I'll go somewhere else. And then they're, oh, well, we were just great wait on you. No, you weren't. You waited on all those people. You was going to see how long I was going to sit there. And guess what? I don't need to spend my money here. Goodbye. See you later. That's the kind of shit that happens all the time. I'm telling you the story. You're not like, oh, my God. You're not fucking shocked. No. You're not shocked. You know I'm not exaggerating. You know I'm not lying. Literally, boom. And it was 30 people that witnessed it. And all those people, not all the people were white. Out of the 30 people that witnessed, there was a black woman who was actually the manager. And she is one of the people that was behind the bar, ignore me. The other lady, she was um, Latin. The other people were white. People on this side were white. Those people were Asian. They all saw how I was treated and not anybody. The one white lady, she tried. But because her husband wasn't helping her, she didn't really have a voice. And she was talking all whiny and soft. So they was ignoring her. But basically, a whole bar full of people including the workers work there, all saw me get treated like shit, allowed me to get treated like shit, and nobody did nothing. That's a very typical experience when you are in an all-white space. But when you tell that to a white person who doesn't want to, for whatever reason, acknowledge that that is a possibility that could happen, then they start saying, oh, my God, and acting shocked. 
And all that does is re-traumatize me because I'm like, so now, because I did this, I said this to a man on the airplane who did the exact, who after I experienced the same thing in my hometown of Philly, okay, couldn't get waited on for 20 minutes, had to walk two gates to get food because I was taking a cross-country flight and I didn't have, and I um, didn't pre-order my meal. So I was looking for food before I took a four and a half hour flight. Makes sense, right? Right. I think I would be able to get uh, food in the Philadelphia International Airport, right? In the main terminal. Very reasonable expectation. At Chickies and Pete's, a Philly staple. I was getting ready to order an $18 order of french fries. So how about that? Okay. Couldn't even get waited on. So these things happen all the time. All the time. Philadelphia, Portland, Oregon, Hillsboro, Oregon. Raleigh, North Carolina, Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, Dallas. I can name every city where it's happened in some kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is something tricky. We talked about like the white woman's not getting backed up by her husband and she doesn't have a voice. This is a very problematic uh, dynamic that a lot of us experience is there is this deferral to patriarchal ideas. Um, And then there's also just that so many of us who are in female bodies, feminized bodies, are given so much gaslighting when we report our own experiences that the gross thing that happens is when I hear your experience, I've had so many times where I've said like, I was sexually harassed or... Um, my body used to be bigger. And so I would be like, this person is treating me poorly because I have a big body. And people would be like, no, that's in your mind. You're just taking it wrong. And so there's this like priming so that when I hear your story, instead of going to the, God, I hate it when things of that nature, oppression shows up. When oppression shows up in the bodies of, had other big people uh, discriminate against me as you were talking about the black female manager, right? We get, this gets internalized. A lot of us show up and participate in this dynamic for different reasons, but we participate in it. And so if I, instead of going, I have this compassion, I hate feeling excluded. No one should feel that. I do the, did you take it wrong? I'm going to dissect your lived embodied felt experience. I'm going to dissect it with my brain and see if you just don't know how to sort things or make meaning out of things, right? And this is gaslighting. It's not okay. We can look at if that impulse comes up. Why is my impulse to tell you that you misunderstood it? To say, like, it was just something else happening rather than this thing that you actually are an expert in because you've been experiencing it much of your life. You know that flavor. You know that dance. A lot of people in in the United States and other parts of the Western world, we have this passive-aggressive thing we do Mm. where we can be like, if nobody said it, if nobody calls you a name then they were just busy or distracted. Haven't you yeah. ever been, you know, like we do that thing, but it, people who are being passive aggressive and not just calling names, but doing this kind of exclusionary behavior, like they know what they're doing. You know what that message is. You feel it. You you referenced uh, Jackie Abrams and I, I can't wait to read the second part of her book because I was just on the edge of my seat with with the first part of Hush Money. But she talks about experiences in the workplace where she's like, somebody just leered at her with like a clown-like grin. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I think all of us have had that moment where you're like, that person didn't say anything. But you could see that their intent is to harm you. And so when we discount the experiences of Black people, especially Black women, 
and discount that they had the experience where they knew that someone's intention was to harm them, then we waste everybody's time. I pull you down my intellectual rabbit hole instead of joining you in your embodied shitty experience. And you know, (laughs) we swear, honey, we swear, we swear, because this is a real show. And, you know, we are talking about and living corporate for those of you who may not be familiar. I think I did my very first living corporate show on April 14th of 2021. So it's going on like four and a half months. It feels like longer because I've been doing a lot of them. But, you know, this space on Living Corporate is to amplify the voices and the experiences of black and brown professionals at work. Um, Zach, uh, you know, who is the CEO of the network and founder of the whole thing, told me, hey, Von, to do your thing. He sent me a beautiful message, you know, about the work that I'm doing. And swearing is okay because it's part of who we are. And, 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 and so you said just so much. And, and I think one thing that you said... Um, that's really, it just warms my heart to hear is that there are people, not just you, but like you, who really do get it, that there's no way that somebody can that can hear an experience of another person with and, and hear that experience genuinely, right? And be like, no, no, because when I think about you know, intersectionality and and that's something that we talk about, right? And I think about compassion. There is not, and maybe it's because I was abused as a kid in my background, but there is not one thing that any human being could tell me that it happened to them or a, 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 a close person that they know that was a harm or wrong that I would not believe. Right. Whether you told me that it was at the hands of a relative, a stranger, a clergy, a, whatever the thing is, if you told me this happened to me, my first, even the way I'm going to react to it is, damn, I am sorry, because that is fucked up. Yeah. If someone harmed you, whether or not I can see the harm through my trifocals <laughs> or not, right? right? It's, I, it doesn't matter whether I can imagine it happening, whether I've heard 50,000 other stories of it. If you said, hey, you know, somebody body shamed me, I'm going to be mad. But first, I'm hurt for you because I know that all harm is harmful. And it doesn't mean, matter whether a person meant to do it, whether they did, didn't did mean to do it. It's about the impact. So when I think about that, that experience at the Philadelphia airport, and everybody who knows me knows I'm a Philly girl straight up. So at that airport, PHL, where I've been flying out that airport since I was 10 years old, okay, I couldn't wait it on. And... It was 15 minutes and it was a line of people. And after I got out the line, it was like, okay, well, fuck it. They ain't going to wait on me. The, it was several people behind me that was yelling at the people like, why y'all didn't wait on that lady? What the hell? Boom, boom, boom. And the guy said, do you want to be waited on? And then the other person said next. And, and the next person was like, and they ordered their food. A lady ran because I started walking to another gate because I'm like, I'm running out of time and I have to get food, right? So lady chases me, miss, miss, you take my turn in line. I said, that's okay. Cause I don't want that food because that's the kind of people they got working for them. I, that's okay. I can go get my food somewhere else. And I did, of course it wasn't what I wanted, you know, or I, either I walked to the other chicken pizza and got it, but whatever the bottom line is, these are the things that happen. And so when people experience harm, not only is the, the, in the moment, is it traumatic and terrible and, you know, and for me, like I used to get embarrassed by being treated racist. I don't get embarrassed now. I like this. You know what? It is what it is. Y'all racist, whatever. And I walk away and I don't give a shit because I'm not the person that did anything wrong. Right. And so I'm not the one that should feel bad. But what I do hate is when, if somebody asks me a question and it's always a white person, it's usually a white man. Women don't do it as much. Non-binary people don't do it because we have, I think, 
a different connection that is 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 once again that power you know that's related to how we are as as human beings and yes. i believe and Alyssa and i talk about this i believe personally that um you know that that gender is a spectrum and mm -hmm. that we're all we're on it and maybe because of the way our families our church people condition us we have just been like we have to fit this little robotic model but i don't believe that me personally i think we all on a spectrum somewhere because i can t definitely tell that there's more traditionally masculine parts of who i am and then there's super what i call my super girly girly part because i'm like very girly girly in a whole lot of ways right and i like that about me and i but i like being a strong person that's like yo calling it what it is and i grew up with a lot of male friends you know i never had a whole lot of you know female friends and girlfriends but the ones i had yo we ride or die we ride hard for each other right and and that's a connection i feel that with you i feel that with karen i feel that with Alyssa. And even though we haven't known each other that long, because trust is there and the trust is there, for example, in how we are able to have these kind of conversations. Right. So, like, we can use the word like have you and I'm sure you did, especially when you probably started doing your work be around white people who you can't say the word white to them. Like something about saying the word white gets certain white people upset. What is that about? Do you know? It's it's a really good question. I think that there is, I, I I think Robin DiAngelo actually in White Fragility encapsulated something that I was like wrestling with for a long time. And that was that um, white people don't think of themselves as a collection of people. We yeah. think of ourselves as individuals. And so like growing up, I was a swimmer so I was an athlete but I wore all black and listened to you know music from the UK so I was kind of a bat caver you know proto-goth right and so like there was a lot of emphasis on what you wore what genre of music you listen to what politics you're affiliated with and so there's a lot of stuff around in whiteness around being distinct from each other and not thinking of us as a group of people with shared reaction to perceived threat, shared indoctrination in anti-Blackness, right? We don't, and, and I think it's baked into the system. The more that I don't think like I, that I'm like my white neighbor, my, you know, white teacher, my white whatever, the more I think of them as different from me, and set myself apart as a different kind of human, the less I see how this conflict avoidance, this, you know, worship of the written word, this either or, this, you know, all of these things that are baked into not just how humans effectively interact, but how the dominant white supremacist culture operates and rewards us in our schools, in our workplaces, right? And if, you, if you're a fish, you don't see the water you're swimming in. And so a lot of us, like, it took me a long time to recognize like, oh, when I was a teenager, I had this kind of bat caver identity, this jock identity, but I could move around into lots of different groups. I think that's part of me being non-binary but in retrospect, it's also part of me being white. And mm -hmm. I didn't even know that that was a ticket that was being punched that made it so I could go hang out with the stoners and the rockers. I could go hang out with the cheerleaders. I could go, I could be in all of these spaces. I was like, oh, I don't have a place I totally fit, but I can get along with everyone. And it was like, yeah, that might have been. Uh, those doors might not have opened had I not had so very little melanin, right? And so, yeah. Oh my God, this is so good. You, we go in so many directions. We're gonna be talking about this for hours. So I'm gonna already say right now, unless you have a super hard stop, we probably gonna go a few minutes over because we got to dig into a couple of things. 
And, you know, it is what it is. People can always listen to it half and go back and listen to the rest later. But you just have said so many things. The first thing is I have had a couple of conversations, one with Cindy Bright, I think one with Angel Henry and others, right, around. And we've had the conversation, I think, within um, Interracial Sisterhood Coalition in some of our talks around basically last year I found out that I was light-skinned, which I think is still fucking hilarious because a dark-skinned person that's black, um, you know, or within the diaspora period, no matter whether they consider themselves black, American, whatever, might see me as light-skinned. But because of the way I grew up with light-skinned people that were as light as you, right? okay, as black people in my family that look white, like literally, and, and used to get mad if you call them white, but everybody, when I was young, they loved calling me blackie because I was one of the darkest people in my generation of the kids, right? So I was, I'm a few years older than you. I'm going to be 53. So I was born in 69, right? So mm-hmm. in my generation of cousins, because my mother has four siblings, my grandmother uh, and grandfather, they have small families. So we have a lot of cousins. And um, on my grandmother's side, my, on my mom's side, um, I'm, I'm now, I'm probably in the middle between light, lightest and darkest because I'm, you know, but in the 70s, this was dark if all my other relatives look like you. So imagine, right, if you had some relatives from, I don't know, Sardonia or, or Middle East in your family that look my color, right? Right. So, so having that thing of growing up feeling dark and thinking I'm dark, but like you, am, I moved in spaces, in all spaces. So I didn't have, I, I was everywhere and nowhere. So for example, Josephine, my best friend, who everybody knows, I would talk about something. She was a cheerleader. So not only was she a cheerleader, she was also a dancer. Not only was she a dancer, she was also a theater nerd. Okay. And all the, and um, she used to coach the pep squad and all this stuff because she's good at all movement. Like that's her thing, all movement. So just think. So being a movement person, right. A physical artist, a dancer, she was on all these different groups. So if she was at cheerleading practice and I was done basketball practice, I was hanging out with the cheerleaders. If it was time to go home and maybe I was finished playing tennis, right? And she was at theater play, I would go wait for her and I would hang around with her theater people. If we were on campus at school walking from section to section or walking from place to place, I had all friends. I had jock friends. I had piehead friends. I had, um, you know, super smart friends. I had friends that people would consider I'm you back in the day we used to say nerdy like it was bad now I think nerdy is a I, I call myself a nerd I you call yourself a nerd nerd is good but we I'm back proud, in the day yeah. we like nerdy nerdy kind of people and I would be walking they'd be like how do you know this person oh they're in my such and such a class and I would talk to everybody I tell all of that to say I think a lot of it was the function of me being light-skinned and being able to go into different spaces of black people, white people, and other immigrant people of the in the seventies, right? So we're talking Vietnamese people. Wasn't a lot of Mexican people on the East Coast in the seventies. Not in in our neighborhood. We didn't have any. We had some Vietnamese people, some Korean families, right? Because of military and you know coming here like that, right? On the East Coast, but on the East Coast, we didn't have. Um, a lot of immigrants in Philly that were of Pacific descent, right? So we didn't have Asian, a lot of Asian people if they weren't Vietnamese or um, Korean. Few right. Chinese people, um, no Japanese. I don't think I grew up, I don't think I met a Japanese person until I went to college. Like a person that was really Japanese, no. You know what I mean? And then, um, yeah, just Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese. And then I don't think I ever met a person from India until graduate school. So till the nineties, yeah, till the nineties. Right. So when I think about all of those interactions and think about me being able to operate in those spaces, I always assumed because white people seem to have uh, camaraderie with each other. Right. 
that 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 identity of knowing like okay you're a white person so how come black people can be put into a group latin people can be put into a group native american people can be put in a group indian people southeast Asia, but white people aren't put into a group and you say the word white and it's like so then how do you so white people and the structure has has determined all the categories that we get that we get assigned right and when we think about categories that we're all signed as people we didn't give those categories because literally if somebody asked me vonda what do we call people i think all people should just be called all people and we don't have to have no pronouns and you could just be m vonda Susie, tamika where's m at they over there where's vonda they over there where's this person because i don't understand what difference it makes but we know the reason that all of this is in place was because the people on our money I don't seem to have any cash. I was like, I have a twenty dollar bill, right? They, right. they, you know, they, they wanted, they would, they wanted what they wanted. They wanted land. They wanted to be above everybody. They wanted to make all the rules, and so they set up capitalist systems run by white supremacy to keep it going. And so that's where we are. And so thinking about navigating that, right? We can't do it alone because the the fraternal, you know, white supremacists patriarchal system you know oh man i just had a bell hooks moment you know how she she lays it out the way she breaks down right where we are where we are we lost a a big one you know such um, a profound educator for us to understand what was happening in systems and be able to touch it and feel it and locate ourselves and see the horizon we should be aiming ourselves at yeah i mean like you know and i mean i'm just just thinking about it like the favorite my favorite bell hooks book is the will to change the one she wrote about men and masculinity and 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 that's really the root at what we have to we have to get to is changing these definitions that don't make any sense so when yeah. you were talking about whiteness right making decisions about words and what words mean and this is this is what it is right so the the fraternity right the 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 capital white supremacist structure has decided this is feminine this is masculine this is good this is bad this is they've decided but we didn't have to go along with it we don't have to go along with it up here, right? The systems are what they are. Like, I can't wait. You know, people who know me um, know I'm a technologist. And I have, I got about 40 patents in here, okay? Good. Of tech stuff to fix, okay? And I'm working on it. I'm doing my little thing. We know that we have to use the tools. We know we have to, we're part of these systems. We can't, we can't unplug from capitalism. We can't unplug from white supremacy. We can't unplug from so-called democracy. Don't let me start talking about that. We can't unplug from that, right? right? We have to engage in these systems with what we have. But at the same time, we don't have to lock our minds into believing that all in all these binaries, we don't have to lock ourselves into any binary. Absolutely. And I think that that's a huge thing is there are some places, there's some structures that I think we should let go. Right. I think that if oil and gas companies, um, some of the banks, some of the health insurance companies, like if they can't find employees, all the better. Let's invent something better, something more equitable in those spaces. Um, Let's make sure that those people who are employees of those companies get good jobs that at places that are more ethically aligned and less exploitative. Right. Like I think that there's, I see DEI job postings for these companies and I'm like, no, I'm not coming to help you because you're still exploitative at the end of the day. Like I just, I can't, I can't help you make a happy place for your workers given what you're doing to the planet. Right. So I think there's some of that, but there's also places where um, 
you know, a big complaint I have is people create manufacturing needs so that they can sell their product. Find a need, create a product for that. Stop telling me that um, I shouldn't feel lovable and worthwhile so that you can sell me your diet plan or your acne cream or any of that other bullshit. So many, especially women, spend so much time distracted trying to make themselves closer to this ideal, the petite white blonde cheerleader that I will never be, you will never be. And we can lose so much of our energy in coming together and making improvements and making the world we want to be in if we get distracted by these manufactured needs. Stop buying those products. Stop. Absolutely. Stop. And if you have to buy some products, buy black owned. Buy black owned. Exactly. I have dry skin. I have curly hair. I'm finding better products for me in Oakland that black women have designed than the products that were sold to me that assumed I would get too greasy, right? Like there's, there's the, there's not a model that works for everybody, but we can look at who do we want to be supporting? Who do we want to be in relationship with? And actually, and that's it is- right there. That's it. Who do you want to be in a relationship with? And so, you know, I, and, and we've talked about, you know, and I don't claim to speak for, other black women, you know, all black women. I speak for myself for sure. <laughs> I'm the president of me, CEO of me, of my experience. And I speak for people with whom, for whom I've had conversations, right? Talking about these specific things. And one thing is, you know, thinking around who you want to be in a relationship with. And, and I say for me, I want to be in a relationship with people who are who who know that there's always more and there's always better and you don't have to settle for the status quo. I want to be in a relationship with people whose minds are free. So even though we all got some kind of shackles, because we all do, literally, this is America, right? There's right. very few people that are not, like, how do you totally off-grid? And, and, and maybe there's, you know, a million people that have enough, finances and means to off-grid themselves and they don't have to use any of the other stuff but they can because who how they not gonna use google how you not gonna either use mac or apple or microsoft you got to use the stuff but you can align your personal values and your choices with your with together right your personal values and your choices like i do not buy stuff from mr bezos i just don't right everything i need I try to buy it from the person themselves or I live in Oregon. I will, you know, go to a local place and, and try to buy it. I don't want to buy anything because he doesn't need my 99 cent or my $2 so he can continue to hurt and exploit more people, let more people die on the job and not give a shit. Got his workers, you know, using the cups for toilets because they can't take breaks and all kind of nonsense. All these big old poster boards up $15 an hour. Who can live on $15 an hour? No one in America. No. And it's it's disturbing because I think we see, keep seeing these, these models. It's like, okay, we don't have them in a coal mine, but we have them in a warehouse during a pandemic, right? And we still aren't making sure that it's safe and humane. The bottom line expectation that I have for a company is that it's humane. Now, and how tragic is that? Beyond humane, I'd love to create a place where people thrive, people move up, they grow, they get challenged, they move on, they start new good things in the world, they train others to replace them that don't look like them so that it's a better place with more voices, more creativity. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the ideal. And a lot of it is about, you know, we have the great resignation. Tons of people are leaving these spaces. Um, I was really excited watching your crowdcast yesterday where uh, one of your guests was talking about access to, to monies to start your own business. Right? And we're going to dig would- into that and give people the information. Because why should you have to continue to work in inhumane, harmful environments? Think about that. M. 
that's the basic. We're talking about treating people humanely. Yeah. Everybody is out here buying shit they don't need from all kind of places for what? When those same companies that you buying stuff from are the reason the economy is messed up. They're the reason people can't get jobs. They're the reason that everything costs that much. They're the reason that the rich people are saying nobody wants to work nowadays. It's not that. Nobody no. wants to work for six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen dollars because you can't live on that. If you're making less than twenty, thirty dollars an hour, you working more than forty hours a week. And what about your transportation? And forget if you're living in California, Washington, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Right. Right. Maryland. I mean, I could just name I could just name cost of living is so high that then we have to make more or have more jobs. And and the harm is most done to people who are living in poverty to start out with. And, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. pointed out like two thirds of the people in poverty are white. And so people are making choices that harm the people that look like them just in order to comfortably make choices that harm people who don't look like them. And that's incredibly problematic. And I, that's, that's a place too, when we're looking at, you know, this year coming up and in business. So manufacturing a need makes me angry. Um, and making bad products, making bad products because, or, or like your story, you went to two different businesses that refused to take your money. That is a terrible business model. And it's you know what I think? Business model. And, and, and can I tell you the things I do to try to, to shield myself from racism? Okay. Because, and I'm going to be real. And I don't know if I ever said this to anybody before. Maybe I said it to Alyssa. Um, but when I, the things I do that I think if I just do this, maybe I'll get treated less black, right? So for mm -hmm. example, right? When I travel, I buy, I travel, I have expensive um, items, okay? Like I like to buy one thing and use it until it literally falls apart. So mm -hmm. I will have, I have a, 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 a Michael Kors, it's called a weekender bag that now I use it for a gym bag. I've had it about 15 years. It's leather. It's white. I take care of I took care of it. People still compliment me on this bag. And I've had this bag since Morgan was like three or four years old. I got it from either TJ Maxx or Marshalls. It's like a $400 purse that I got for like $108 or $9. And I've had it for 15 years. So I tell you that to say, I will buy one really nice, beautiful, expensive thing, right? And when I started traveling a lot for work, when I started consulting, you know, um, you know, it's nice. You feel like you, you feel cute. You know, you got your nice little bag, whatever. Right. So when I travel, I literally have a very expensive suitcase. I always have a very expensive carry all that either carry on that's either matches my suitcase. Right. Whatever. Or I have some other designer item like mm -hmm. expensive. Right. I got $2,000, whatever, got expensive phone, shoe, whatever. Nothing will shield you from racism. No. The treatment of being treated racist, no matter how you look. Because then it's like you can't look too good because then people think, well, why do you deserve to have that? I have right. gotten, sit in first class, sit, like they call my seat. They say, you know, they board military personnel, people with disabilities, first class. I get in line. I either have somebody try to shove me, elbow me, push me, or say, they call in first class, and I have to go, I'm in first class, thank you. And then I, you know, but it's like, it, these things happen all the time. And you try to shield yourself, or you try to be like, what can I do to be treated as less racist as possible? Because it's always traumatic. And then right. you tell a person about it. I had a man, I might've told y'all this story. I was sitting in first class. He was next to me. I had my big earphones on, the ones that cover your whole thing. I have a privacy screen on my Mac, right? And I had myself, and I was working. 
this is first class. This man took it upon himself to talk to me and would not shut up. I kept on saying, I'm working. I'm work. and he would not stop. And then finally, when, and he's from telling me he's from Canada and how white people in Canada are not as racist as the white people here. And I was like, that ain't true. All white people are the racism. How are you going to be like your racism is less? It is no different. And I, and he was like, oh, and then he started telling me, of course, he had a best friend as a black doctor and all this because and it's like whatever. And then I finally said to him, um, <laughs> I'm the victim of racism right now because you won't shut up. I told you yeah. I'm working. I'm trying to do. And you feel like it's more important for you to talk to me than to let me do what I'm doing. I said, that ain't no different than an American man would do. I said, no matter how many black friends you had. I was like, now what else? Right. And then he's already started saying from up. And he didn't even acknowledge that or say, oh, I'll let you get back to work. He won't keep on talking. So then I told him the story about how I couldn't get waited on. And he was like, oh, I just I can't believe that. Happened. I said, so either I'm a liar or you're invalidating my experience. What is right. it? So you calling me a liar or you just telling me, well, I don't believe like what either way is always harmful. Right. Yeah. It's and it's like more energy. Right. That I that I have to take on and thinking about how we trap all that in our bodies. Right. And yeah. you being a, a body worker and a body healer, you know what that does to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's long term cortisol it's disrupting your sleep it's disrupting your ability to feel joy either you get numb or you get bitter or you get sick or you know you use other things for escapism to not feel your body and feel the pain that's held in it there's so many things that happen on that embodied level and yeah it's when you're talking about the guy, I was just thinking about um, there's a book called Burnout by a couple of white twin sisters. And they talk about how, unfortunately, white people and often white women, but even kind of in this, instead of leaning in, we lean on black women and women of color. And so there's this thing of like, he wanted your time. He expected your time and interaction for the interaction that he wanted to have that clearly had something more to do with his ego than any like curiosity as my fellow seatmate, right? He could have been like, I want it. I want us to be new best friends. And you could have said, I'm busy right now. I can talk to you in an hour. um, And we can see if we have anything in common or whatever, but there wasn't a recognition of your boundaries. That's, that's leaning on when you don't get to have boundaries, you don't get to say, stop. You don't get to say not right now. That's leaning on. And that's a place where a lot of people who want something for their ego want to be reassured. Um, no matter what your skin tone is, if you have that hunger and you're looking for other people to feed you for it, mm-hmm. you got to you gotta do some work around that. And that's another place that I'm actually kind of excited is a lot of people are doing work. A lot of people are doing this kind of work, but a lot of people are like, even some really conservative people I know, they're going to couples therapy and they're starting to get some feedback on different perspectives, other people experiencing things different ways, other people making meaning different ways. And I do think that that's one of our inroads to be able to change corporate cultures and societal culture is the more of us who are less entrenched in only one way of experiencing the world, uh, we have some space to build the capacity to truly have some empathy and be moved by what you share and say, how can I make it different for people in my community? How can I make it different for Vonda? Know that I'm not going to like white savior and save you, but that I, in acts of solidarity, can show up, speak up, and and make things better. And, and that's what it's about. And I think you know that's a good a good you know segue to close to close the conversation about because that is what it is, right? And there's no you know like I want people to think about you know 
relationships in the in the context the way you said it first is what is that relationship that you have with yourself you know do you like yourself do you love yourself you know before we got on camera um you know we were talking about menopause and you know hot flashes and you know I don't even know like when your period comes on and menopause is it really considered a period or I don't even know what right so we talking about all this because this is part of life and I think often about uh, India Irie, who's one of my favorite artists, and she has a song um, called Private Party. And she says, you know, I'm going to take off all my clothes and I'm going to get in front of the mirror and we're going to heal the disconnection. Right. My body is beautiful and it's sacred. And I and I think that album either came out in 99 or 2000. Don't get me. I don't want to get it wrong. But um, but, you know, I remember doing that. And she says, we're going to heal this disconnection. And so I think you have to know who you are and you could start that by looking at yourself and you could be like, okay, yeah, I got jiggly arms and saggy boobs and a double chin or whatever. Who gives a crap? It's a body and we all have one. Nobody is perfect and there's no definition of whatever that we have to fit into. The definition we should be working to fit into is humane, is loving, is kind is peaceful, is generous, is, 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 is connected, right, to something. And I think we could start that connection by being connected to yourself. And so I think one of the things that is part of the catalyst to building a relationship across a difference of what we've been prescribed as difference, because if we would have never had, you know, <laughs> the Atlantic slave trade, <laughs> transatlantic slave trade, you and I, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be different. We just would be yeah. people. Right. We would just be M. I just would be Vonda. Wouldn't be no she, them. You're white. I'm black. I'm light skinned. You're pale. We, we wouldn't have none of that. You would just be a person, and I would just be a person. And 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 we're conditioned, right, to feel like it's super important to fit into these labels or whatever because we haven't loved ourselves in a way that we're like I don't care about a label you can call me whatever makes you feel comfortable uh in in the confines of you know how our society you know operates but you know it's all because of somebody else's rules and so by me caring about myself and and acknowledging and being who I am by you loving and caring about yourself and yours is, is demonstrated out because you've been able to have a career as a healer. You wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't have connections and concern for yourself. Because I don't think healers, and this is my experience, I've been going to massage, massage therapists, acupuncturists for years, all people. I don't believe that a true um, healer, like a massage therapist, can really be good at that if you got a whole bunch of horrible whatever and you don't know who you are. It, it definitely, it definitely can get in the way. And there's something about, you know, the judgment that we put on other people's bodies. And I don't know who it was that taught me, but somebody taught me early on that each body that I touched was a, a divine child of God. Now, I'm not a religious person, but that's who you are on my table. And that started to translate and it translated into how I started seeing myself. And the stranger walking down the street and the person in the car next to me in traffic. And I forget because when I'm activated, I don't have access to the parts of my brain. When I'm in fear, I'm, I'm exclusive, right? When we're activated, we start going, uh, there's not enough resources, it's scarcity. So who doesn't get, who are we not sharing with, who is kept out? when we're not in that space, when we're calm and centered in ourselves, when we're the kind of person who can look in our eyes while we're brushing our teeth and, and respect that person, then we have a calmness, we have self-regulation, and then we can be in that place of abundance where we say, who is being excluded? And let's stop that shit. Stop exactly, that. exactly. Because we're missing out on the gifts that they bring we're missing out on the creativity of more perspectives. We're missing out on them being whole and thriving and vital next to us, co-regulating. 
um, and celebrating, right? I, I think there's a place where there can be a lot of thriving and joy as we step away from these exclusionary, high fear kind of mindsets. And it's challenging because as we can see, most of the world operates in that way. But that's where it's great that we're learning that trauma isn't a life sentence. Trauma is even the trauma I inherited from my highly traumatized parents. I can work through, I can get it to leave my body. I don't have to pass it along to anyone else. And I think that's another thing in 2022. I think there's going to be the opportunity to free ourselves of some of that residual trauma that makes us more afraid. It, it is. And, and that's to me, right, where that's why I knew that this series, that these conversations needed to go under radical power, right? Yeah. Because it's about accessing that power, right? And it's that divine. So I love what you said about, you know, that that person is a child of God. Because I look at it, I was brought up, you know, Baptist, you know, Christian church, da, da, da. And, 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 and my way I, I look at God now is in the sense of an overall creator, not, you know, individual stories in the Bible. Kind of like how we, I asked you earlier if you was a Patton Oswalt fan. I, when I was watching his special yesterday, he gave this little analogy in his little story about how he thinks of Jesus, right? He said he thinks it was several people that did different things, and it was a collection of stories. He's like, just like if you tell somebody a story about something that happened in high school, it's not about the person. It's about the story and the story bringing about the lesson or the example, right, or whatever. So he's using all these examples about things that you know, are, are um, reported that happened, you know, along Jesus's lifetime in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about it, you know, from the sense of how we as human beings, you know, um, take information and take stuff and, and synthesize it and put it together. So when I'm thinking about, you know, what um, these relationships, right, that we're using, using and accessing like our own vulnerability our own authenticity our own the thing i thought about uh when you were talking to was you know that expression there um there but by the grace of god go i so when i see a person doing bad i know that i've i've had a lot of bad things happen but i don't have that as what i'm accessing to be able to sympathize or empathize or feel for another person experience something because it's always as a black woman in America, as a black skinned person around the world, right? Unless I'm in Africa and only if I'm not in South Africa, right? Um, right. I, me being black is bad. And it, it, you know, in, in terms of the messaging and in terms of, of all of that. And so the, the power of having relationships with non black people, but specifically women and non binary people. It's, it's so much because we are connected, but we've been separated. Like how, you know, we talk about and Karen talks about it way more, you know, eloquently and factual. We've been separated. And so now in 2022, let's come together. Think about all these twos that are going on. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and what 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 is you know, what is this about? And so this conversation the subsequent conversation really using the power of of what what we have inside to make big change period yeah absolutely absolutely we're here to transform and evolve and that's what we're going to do so m thank you so much this was thank a you so great much conversation. we can do love this talking all day. to you Clearly, we do clearly. We'll just um, have to make it a series of conversations. We, we will. We will. So, hey, that's what it is. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching the group chat, the group chat, Radical Power on Living Corporate, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.